<laughs> Thanks. Good morning. Can, can you hear me? It's really weird. I can't hear much up here. It's kind of strange. But um, wow, that was really kind. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is that you guys are a gift to us. I mean, we, we moved our family here, true. Um, but man, God, God really was kind to us to bring us here. And you guys have just opened your arms to us. And it's been such an amazing uh, time to this point, you know, it's just been a short time. I mean, I really think about it. it. In some ways, it feels like I've been here forever. Like this is home, and this is, you know, it just feels really comfortable. And and then I think, wow, it's it's really only been not quite seven months that that I've been a part of the summit. And so, uh, really amazing, amazing ways in which God has has worked. Uh, in our family and, and here at the summit since we've been here, we are privileged to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, and so to hear, you know, Pastor Mel say those kind of things is, is humbling because, uh, you know, our hope is that in some way we are as big a blessing to you or just a blessing to you <laughs> in the way that you have been to us. So thank you uh, for your generosity toward us and for uh, allowing us to, to be a part of what God's doing here and, and use our gifts to serve the summit. Uh, and then secondly, I just want to say thanks to Pastor Mel for having uh, the confidence in me to allow me to preach. Uh, this, is a, this is a big job, you know. Um, we are charged to and I'll use the King James since that's what I grew up with, to rightly divide the word of truth, right? So, uh, so I don't take lightly, uh, number one, preaching the gospel, and then number two, uh, the fact that Pastor Mel would trust me enough to allow me to, to stand here and to teach today. And so I want to thank him for that. And then just wanted to say, uh, I am so glad that we have a pastor who is willing to take time out of the pulpit in order to go and to learn and to try to be a better leader and a better pastor so that he might lead our church effectively into the areas that God is calling us to be and into the future that he's calling us to. I know sometimes we, we get uncomfortable with the idea of a pastor being gone, but God has blessed us with other capable people who can teach, Pastor Dick, uh, hopefully myself is included in that list, but I'm thankful that, that Pastor Mel is taking the time to grow as a leader. Uh, that is for our benefit, and so uh, I, am, I am glad that he doesn't feel the pressure to have to be here every weekend. Uh, because that often can stifle growth. And so that too is uh, part of your generosity and your willingness to, to allow him to do that. So thank you so much for your kindness in that way. I am wrapping up our Redemptive Love series. I've so enjoyed this series. Uh, the, we've told some stories from, from scripture. And then uh, last week we, we had uh, Ian and Larissa, uh, and they were here and shared their story with us, and we saw the ways in which God is working in their life, and, and I hope that you're able to see God's work in your life reflected through what he's doing in them. You know, we, their, their story is unique in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of ways in which it's no different from ours, and that is that God is using the circumstances of our lives to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus and to make us a reflection of who he is. And uh, 
So I'm so, so thankful for the ways in which he does that. And I'm, I'm thankful for the stories in scripture and the examples that he has given us and the ways in which he shows us how he works. And so that uh, we are not left questioning all the time, going, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Although sometimes it may feel that way. We can go to scripture and he gives us examples and he leaves us a record of, of his, his work throughout human history so that we're able to go, oh, God, thank you that I'm not alone. And so I'm so grateful for that. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive right in. We'll be looking at Hosea today. We're going to be telling his story. God, thank you for your kindness toward us. God, I thank you that today I am confident that you are at work. And God, that you have ordained this moment, that it is not by accident that any of us are here, that it is not uh, just happenstance, but God, you designed this moment for us. You have purpose in it. So God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, I pray that uh, you would give me the wisdom to speak the words that you would have me to speak. God, that I would be sensitive to the leading of your spirit, that I would know the direction that you are going. God, I pray today that you would help us all as we share from your word to be enriched by it, to be changed by it. I pray, God, that it would, the seed of the gospel would find good soil in our hearts and it would grow, that it would take root. And Lord Jesus, that we would be a people shaped by your word, that we would be a people who are changed by your spirit, that we would be a people who are after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking today at Hosea. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. Uh, he's not called minor because he, he's not important. He's called minor because his book is smaller. It's simply, a, you know, the, the, the long-winded guys go first. And for whatever reason, the long-winded guys get called the major prophets. And the guys who are able to say it concisely get slammed as the minor prophets. I don't really get that. Maybe, maybe they should be called the concise prophets or the very clear prophets. But, uh, but in, at any rate, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. And the scripture tells us a story, and it's an interesting way in which God weaves together the events of Hosea's life and the story of his people. And I find it unique for a couple of things. Number one, God asks of Hosea some pretty unique things. There are some things that God asks Hosea to do that he doesn't ask anyone else in Scripture. And that's, that's unique in itself. But the thing that I really love about it is that it is such a great picture for us of the way that God wants to use our lives to tell his story as well. The amazing one of the most amazing things to me about being a Christian, about being a child of God, is that God doesn't just call us into his family, but he invites us into the work that he is doing in the world. We are invited in to be a part of the story that God is telling. And that was the case for Hosea as well. So Hosea is a young prophet, a young preacher, and he's a single guy. And he falls in love with a woman. 
Now, she has a past. One. Hey, wow. Okay. So I'll, I'll just hold on to this. So she's got issues, right? She's got a past. Hosea knows the things that people whisper behind her back. He knows what's gone on in her life. And he knows that uh, when they begin to get close to one another, that people are talking. But he is confident of this as well, that God says that she is the one he's to marry. That God said that she is the one that despite her past, that despite what's gone on in her life, despite the fact that she has had a... a a colorful past, right? The, the Bible says that God told Hosea to go and marry a wife of harlotry. So the idea here is that she had the, has probably been, at least, if not actively, a prostitute. So this is a scandalous thing that God is asking Hosea to do. And to Hosea's credit, he is willing to do so. And I don't think that it's just because God said to do it, although uh, that is reason enough. But as we will see, throughout the course of the story, Hosea is deeply in love with this woman. And I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, so it would be, it's speculation, but I'm, I'm assuming that when God said to Hosea, Go and marry this wife of harlotry. Go and marry this woman. And it's going to be, right? Because God tells them this is going to be, your, your marriage is going to be a picture of my relationship with my people. My guess is that in Hosea's mind, he's thinking, okay, I get it. She's, she's got a past, right? She has issues, but you love her, so you marry her and things are great, right? I, I, I'm assuming that that was probably Hosea's mindset. I'm going to marry her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue her from, from this life that she's in, and things are going to be grand. And for a little while, they, they, it looks like they were, right? I mean, they get married, and, and things are, are beautiful, and she says, hey, I'm pregnant, we're going to have a baby, and nine months later, there's a bouncing baby boy, and you know there had to be joy, uh, and you know, God says, hey, I want you to name him Jezreel, right, because there, there were some things that had happened in Je at Jezreel, the, the current king of Israel had come to the throne, and there was a battle that had taken place in Jezreel, and he had done some things that weren't so weren't so kosher, and so God says, I'm about to, to destroy the kingdom of Israel, and it's going to happen at the same place that he came to the throne. It's going to happen at Jezreel, so I want you to name this kid Jezreel. So, you know, so there's this idea, there's this joy that's taking place, there's this birth of this, this child, and there's this good stuff that's happening, and at the same time, God is going, it's going to be dark. So there's, there's all this stuff going on, and So they have a baby, and and then Gomer, like some of us, are tempted to do at times, and just like God's people, right? Maybe she begins to think, you know, I miss 
the old days. I miss the party. I miss the fun. I miss the, you know, whatever. So things are rolling along and she's pregnant again and they have a baby and God says, you name this one, no mercy. Or it could be actually translated, name this one, not loved. And maybe there's some question in Hosea's mind about, is this one mine? And did they have another child? And, and, and apparently there's no doubt there because God speaks to Hosea and says, you call this one not my people. So things are not great. All of a sudden, Hosea is, is in this place where they have three children and then Gomer is gone. And he's left alone and he raises these three children. And, and in fact, there's a, a point in Hosea chapter 2 where, where he, he speaks and it's allegorically like, it's Hosea, I can only imagine Hosea speaking to his own children, but God speaking to Israel as well. And he says, go and find your mother because she's not my wife. Right? She's not acting in a way that is appropriate for a wife. She's gone. I don't know where she's at. Go and find her. Go and find her and speak sense to her, right? Like talk some sense into her. This is, this is crazy. So here's Hosea, this woman that he loves. She's gone. She left. Hosea chapter 2, verse 8 says this. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold. Isn't that, isn't that us? Right? The blessings of God are so lavished on us. He pours out his blessings on us. And we have this tendency to think that it comes from somewhere else. We don't recognize that it's from him. And so we begin to long for something prior. We begin to long for something else. We begin to place our affections on something else. Maybe we think that, you know, I, I work hard Right? And, and maybe you do, but we begin to put our faith in, our, in, in the strength of our own hands. I work hard, and that's where this blessing comes from. Or we begin to trust in something else for our comfort when trouble comes. You know, we reach for a drink, or we reach for sex, or we reach, you know, whatever it may be. We, we begin to put our trust in something else, and we're just like God's people, and we're just like Gomer in her relationship with Hosea. We don't recognize that it's God who has poured out the blessing. We don't recognize that even the strength in our hands comes from him. We don't recognize that every breath that we breathe is his. We don't recognize what he has done and we begin to put our faith and our trust in something else and we stray and we are unfaithful to the one who loves us. So there's Hosea. It's so amazing to me that the story doesn't end there, right? He doesn't just 
marry her, and then she leaves, and she's gone. It doesn't stop there. Because this is a story about jealousy. And maybe you're going, what do you mean this is a story about jealousy? Jealousy, if we break it down into the simplest terms, jealousy is angered love. Now the problem with that in the human context is that angered love, jealousy often doesn't remain love. See, when when we are jealous, our angered love changes, right? It, It becomes bitterness, sometimes even hatred, right? And especially in a situation like we see Hosea in, where one partner is unfaithful to the other, it often gets to a place where there is not just, not just that hurt, not just angered love, right? Because the one that you love has betrayed you. And so that, that love is angered, that jealousy comes, it flares up, but not often it doesn't remain love in the human context. It becomes bitterness and hatred and, and it it gets really ugly, right? I mean, I'm sure all of you, if, if you were pressed, could, could tell a story of a family that you know that was ripped apart by something very similar to what happens with Hosea. And for years and years and years, those, that, that bitterness, and that, it just sits there and it stews and the, people don't speak to one another for years and years and years because in the human context, jealousy, angered love doesn't remain love. But it's not that way with God. I don't know if you ever wondered why God describes himself as jealous. I know I did for a long time because I, you, that, we always equate that with a negative thing. Like jealousy is a bad thing. Like, you know, the green-eyed monster and you, you know, that whole deal. And so it's hard for us to wrap our brain around what God says when he says that he's a jealous God. But we can't simply ignore it, right? Because it's like at the top of the list in the commandments, Right In Exodus chapter 20, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Right, so this is at the, like at the top of the list, like it's right up there at the top. So you can't really ignore that when in the Big Ten, it's right there. So you have to you have to wrestle with that, and you have to go, what does this mean for God to be jealous? And what it means for God to be jealous is that His love is angered. Right, He is grieved by the sin that is in our lives. He is grieved by the way in which we serve masters that we ought not to serve. He is grieved by the way in which the the sin and the masters of this world, the things that bind us, the things that enslave us. He is angered by the fact that we are enslaved by those things and that we continue to run after them and we find ourselves being unfaithful to the God who created us and the God who purchased us out of our slavery. So he is grieved by that. His love is angered by that. But his love remains love. And so he 
continually strives for reconciliation. He continually strives for our good, for our healing, for our redemption. That's what this series has been all about, this idea of redemptive love. It's that God's angered love, God's jealous love remains love. It does not change into something else. He is steadfast in his love toward us. He is faithful in his love toward us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to love us. He continues continues to reach out to us. He continues to call to us. He continues to be patient with us. He continues to push us back into the direction that we need to go. He continues to remind us of his love. He continues to pour out his grace. He continues to extend mercy. He continues and he never fails because his jealousy does not change into hatred. It remains love. In Hosea chapter 3, in verse number 1, it says this. God speaks to Hosea. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now that's a pretty hard pill to swallow, right? But he tells Hosea how this happens as well, right? He says, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Right? So he's saying, Hosea, I want you to love Gomer. Here's how you do it. You love her like I love you. I didn't intend for this to be a sermon about marriage, but I feel strongly that I should say this to you today. Some of you are teetering on the brink of that angered love becoming something else. And the Lord wants you to love even as he loves. To remember his patience you, to remember his kindness towards you, to remember that he does not give up. And he calls us to love one another the same way. So, so go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. What that simply means, that cakes of raisins thing, it, it simply means that God's people are valuing the things that the world values. That they are running after the things that the world runs after. And God continues to love them. He says, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And then I love this. So I bought her. She was already his. Do you, do, you, do you understand that? This was his wife. And, and she, has, she has left him. And through the circumstances of her life, through the choices that she has made, she finds herself on the auction block. She is being sold as a slave. And he goes, and this woman who is already his, 
And I can just picture it. I just see the scene where he, he goes and he says, she is my wife. And the slaver says, I don't care who she is. This is the price. And it says, so I bought her. Every other master will require everything from you. Jesus is the only master who will give everything for you. And in fact, has already given everything for you. So I bought her the one who already belonged to him, the one who already was his. He paid the price. He was willing to do whatever it took to bring her back into relationship with him. He was willing to do whatever it took to bring her back into his home. And so he bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I, so will I also be to you. So the, the picture is this. He goes and he finds her. In, imagine in, in the modern context, right? Your spouse leaves and they end up in the gutter, addicted, sleeping with all manner of people, finally arrested and placed in jail. And they've been gone for who knows how long. Your response then is to go to pay the bail, to get them from prison, and to bring them home with you and not just bring them home to help them get sober and help them get on their feet and then push them out again but bring them home again and say I want things to be just the way they were no I want them to be better here's what I want I want you to love me I want you to be faithful to me and I'm going to do the same to you. Can I tell you that's exactly what, what the Father has done for us. In spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of everything, he calls to us and he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. It says, for the children of Israel will dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So here's the thing. Scripture tells us, and this is such a picture of this, that the kindness of God brings us to repentance. 
So we see this reflected in the story of, of, of Hosea and Gomer. We see this beautiful picture of what God does for us. He comes and he buys us out of slavery. He redeems us. That's literally what that word means, to pay the price, to purchase, right? And so God comes and he buys us out of our slavery and our sin. And even though we continue to fail, even though we continue and sometimes persist in our unfaithfulness, he continues to pursue us and we and the, until we get to the point where our eyes are open, right? And we see the beauty and the glory of God and we come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. And everything is changed. Everything is different. think that we sometimes mistakenly think that God requires to be everything to us because he has some need for our adulation, that he has some deficit, right? Where he needs us to praise him and he needs us to tell him how much we love him. And that is a mistaken idea of why God requires praise from us. That is a mistaken idea of why God requires that he be first. That is a mistaken idea about why God requires us and, and, and asks us to be faithful to him, that he be chief among our affections. The reason God demands that he be first, that he be everything to us, is because he knows that he is the only foundation on which our hopes and dreams and all of the weight of life can rest without crumbling. He is the only thing that will remain. He is the only thing. His love will never falter. His love will never fail. Every other thing will fail you. Every other thing will come to ruin. Everything in this earth will pass away. Your your youth and vigor will one day go. Ladies, your beauty of youth, it will fade. All of us will get wrinkles. All of us will have gray hair at some point. All of us will eventually succumb to entropy, right? We all will die. All of our wealth, all of the accumulated goods that we have, everything that we might aspire to, even, look, the legacy that you may leave behind when you are gone will mean nothing to you. Every dollar that Bill Gates has will go to someone else when he dies. It will do nothing for him. And so God demands that he be everything to us because he knows that everything else will come to nothing and he will remain. It is because of his jealous love for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, 
The Apostle Paul says, talking about Jesus, says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. He did it for us. He had everything. Right? God, there had no lack of anything. There was one thing that he did not have. It was us. And he emptied himself and subjected himself to death on a cross for you and for me. Because he is jealous for us. But his angered love remains love. And he is steadfast and he is unwavering and he calls out to us. Come home. Come home. Can you bow your heads with me? God, I'm so thankful that you don't give up on us. That your love never fails. And I'm so thankful today, God, that you paid the price for my sin. You pay the price for the sins of every person sitting in this room today. You're jealous for us. God, and the amazing part of all of that is that it's, it's so that we might have life. You gain nothing from it. We have nothing to offer you. We cannot enrich you in any way. Everything that we have came from you in the first place. We are like children who ask their dad for money so that they might buy him a birthday gift. You are not made any more rich by our offering because you are the one who supplied it to begin with and yet you are no less pleased. Like a father who is moved by the gift of that child, you are moved by our love, by our response to your great initiative toward us. Pray today, Lord, that we will be reminded of the great lengths 
to which you have gone to make us your children. Before we go, I, just, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here, please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And